As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Michael Saka. Today we talked to Ankur Nagpal of Fedora. What'd you guys think? I thought it was really interesting to learn about how they've been able to grow by helping their customers launch successful products. You know, each one of their customers that launches something, for example, on Product Hunt, that drives people back to the platform, which is Fedora. And it was interesting to hear how they... Um, you know, work really hard to make their customers be successful. Yeah, another thing that was really interesting was to hear how he built a lot of features early on without understanding the impact of uh, how he would have to support those long term. And there was some really interesting things that uh, he didn't foresee. So some good lessons in there. So let's get into it. We're so happy to have Customer.io supporting the show again. 
We use Customer I.O. for HookFeed, and we absolutely love the power it gives us. Customer I.O. is a data-driven email platform that helps you communicate better with your customers. The kicker is that their powerful rules-based targeting enables you to keep your messages human even as you automate them and scale. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. So Encore, tell us about Fedora. Yeah, um, so Fedora is now about 18 months old, which feels weird to say. Um, But Fedora started um, back in the fall of 2013 um, as I was, you know, doing a little bit of online teaching. I was on Udemy at the time. Um, pretty happy with the state of online education. Like I believe, like you know, this is something that was, you know, going to be big. Um, but I was very frustrated being on a marketplace and not having any ownership over my audience. Um, so the first version of Fedora was literally like, you know, an ugly website with like Vimeo for video payment processing, and you know, it solved the need for me and kind of then realized that there's more people like me. And uh, that's how we started. So where'd you go from there? I mean, how'd you get other people on the platform? Yep. So the good thing being a Udemy teacher was that there were other Udemy teachers in a similar position. Um, And then something very fortunate happened. Um, And it's funny because, you know, we couldn't have predicted this, but this helped us so much. Um, Literally three or four weeks into what, you know, was Fedora existing for the first time, Udemy decided to screw over their existing user base by changing their revenue share. So Udemy at the time was taking a 30% cut, um, but they announced a new policy saying, hey guys, you know, we changed our mind. It's more efficient if we take 50%. And not only that, the way they pitched that was, you know, like this is better for you, which just left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth, um, which just led to this exodus of instructors from Udemy looking towards alternative platforms. And it was incredibly fortunate timing. Like we could not have planned this better. That's awesome. It's funny how they always try to position it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I honestly, like if I was them, I'd have been like, look, we miscalculated. We like need the money to grow or whatever. Like we're incredibly sorry. Like please accept our apologies and, you know, grandfather people. And there's a lot of ways of doing that not by insulting the people's intelligence, by being like, you know, hey guys, this is actually better for you. Yeah. So that, that helps you guys get a, uh, a bit of a teacher base in the software. Yep. Well, how yep. did you actually leverage it? I mean, how, how did you take advantage of that? Um, so the, the advantage of, you know, the way the Udemy uh, marketplace is set up at the time is there were a lot of instructor groups where people collaborated. So people were in a centralized place. Um, so we didn't even really take advantage of it much initially, um, just because they started talking amongst themselves and, you know, found out that Fedora was an alternative and they came to us, which, you know, which is rare, but it was only because like everyone was aggregated inside, you know, these small Facebooks by small, I mean, you know, few thousand to 10,000 people, Facebook groups. And so you didn't plant any seeds, you didn't do any advertising in order to get them to find you? Um, when I first started, I did, you know, an absurd amount of cold outreach, um, like literally like hundreds of emails. I was the annoying guy, like reminding people, pinging them like 10 times. Um, but as soon as you, as soon as the Udemy rev share changed, I literally had email threads where I'd given up that I was like, I, I was like, I'm never going to get a response. People started replying then, you know, it's thread. almost, Yeah. It's yeah. almost like people were waiting, you know, like they just, it was not a pain point enough for them until then. Um, and then, then it switched. 
And then, of course, you know, the advantage of being kind of this platform that lets you build online schools is the more schools there are live, the more ways people find us and the more kind of organic traffic that keeps coming back to us. What were some of the big mistakes you made early on? So I think the biggest mistake I made, and I always like I hold and, you know, this is something I definitely did. Like there's no one to blame but myself is I waited too long to make Fedora a company. Um, you know, we reached a point where we had enough traction, but I spent, I want to say, seven to eight months doing it entirely solo to the degree that I was writing code, answering support, doing literally every aspect, including stuff I was not good at. Like, I'm a terrible engineer. There's no reason for me to, you know, ever be building product. But I did that for too long, and I waited too long to actually raise money. Um, and I think ultimately that pro- I probably cost the company three to four months of progress just because of probably being too afraid to take the plunge and be like, okay, you know, like this business is for real. This is not a stupid side project anymore. Um, it's time to get serious. And I definitely waited way too long before having the confidence to do that. Were you working on it full time? Sort of, as in I had a few classes um, and I did the occasional like one-off consulting project, but I was effectively working on it full time. But I was still, I don't know, it was almost like I was afraid of committing. Like as soon as I, I knew as soon as I raised money and hired a team, everything would become real. And I guess I was afraid of that. Um, but in retrospect, you know, I should have seen the sun. I should have done it at the first hint of traction until like we waited till we were doing, you know, over 50,000 a month in monthly sales before we even decided to, you know, to talk to an investor. Hmm. Now, but wouldn't, isn't that an advantage to have that kind of revenue when you're talking to an investor? Of course. I mean, it was, it was an advantage and I would have definitely, you know, it's definitely good to do it post revenue, but I should have done it two months earlier. Like, I don't think our valuation was that much better. Um, because we waited an extra month or two. Okay. Um, I think I think there's a, I think yeah, being post product, post revenue, and you know, demonstrating that you can build a business, amazing. But beyond that, I mean, you know, just just get the get a team. I think the biggest thing was not having a team. But as I said, because I was such a bad engineer, um, <laughs> everything I wrote had to be thrown away. So when we hired a team for the first six months, they had to rebuild Fedora. Um, so in some ways, you know, like the actual product we use right now was launched over a year into the company existing, huh. um, which is just super like slow and inefficient. So um, you also talk about kind of features and yep. and building too many. Um, yep. What were some of those features and when did you realize that it was, it was the wrong path to go down? Yeah, it's funny, right? Because when you start out, you're just so excited that you have people, um, you have customers that you know are, are in love with the product and Every time anyone was like, hey, you know what would be really cool? If I could have affiliates so that, you know, I, you could automatically, like, pay people out for me. And in that state where, you know, I'm one person building a product, every single feature people suggested, I was like, wow, that is a great idea to make you happy. I'm going to build that right now. Um, and in the process, we, you know, the product got pretty bloated fast. Um, and the, the thing I realized is, you know, at the time, whenever someone suggested a feature, I was like, oh, that's not too bad. I can knock it out in a day. Um, without factoring in that when you build a feature, you're building lifetime support for that feature. Mm. It's one of the features we built too soon. And I mean, this is something we eventually would have wanted, but we did way too soon was we built in a really sophisticated affiliate system so that any school owner can, you know, recruit affiliates and we handle everything. So you set a commission, we pay people out. 
um, that has a lot of consequences we didn't realize. Like when the tax year ended, I realized, you know, we had we had to collect tax information for thousands of people now that, you know, like just because I figured, hey, I can build affiliate tracking in two days. Right, right. But there's so much more that goes into it. There's so much more. Like the cost of support is so much more than the cost of actually building a future. It's the same reason we finally concluded that we're not going to do live video, just not because live video is hard to build, but kind of helping people out with all the technical issues with live video is just Mm -hmm. never going to be worth it. So It's always better left to third party. How have you learned to decide? You guys have any methods now after making those mistakes um, to decide what what features you do want to build because that can also be crippling too is always worried about the support burden when you try something how do you balance that i think now i mean now the one biggest thing obviously is you know we're very very slow and methodical about features i mean now that our product is more mature i think we you know i don't believe any one new feature is going to make or break the product so we're you know substantially slower about it um, and more than that, I think it's, it's, it's actually just sitting down and thinking, does this fit in with our longer term vision? And it's, it's, it's a challenge we face all the time when, you know, we have pot- a potentially very, very large client wanting us to build, you know, a specific feature. This happens all the time. Um, and currently the way we handle that is we think about like, is this something we would eventually want? And if it is something we'll eventually want, maybe we're open to doing it a little bit sooner than otherwise if a really you know large important client whatever wants it but otherwise it's just we've just become substantially slower um, in building new features and I think I think that you know it's a decision that I'm pretty happy with do you guys have a way to build those features for those large clients to test like do you build it and just give it to that large client or are you deploying always to your entire code base no we're never whenever we have we basically have a, a permission system set up and Basically, we can turn features on and off for a lot of for for individual people. So any yeah, that's another thing we do now. Any given feature we build, we generally turn it on initially to maybe 15, 20 people. Um, if it's a feature that's not super critical, we poll people. We ask like literally anyone mm. you want to use it, just because it creates. We have a very supportive uh, user group. Like it's a it's a Facebook group that you know seventeen hundred of our customers, and it just creates a ton of excitement when we do that. But if it's anything, you know important, we'll probably just start off with people that are on our highest tiers. Tell me a bit about your marketing funnel when you're, yep. when you're onboarding new users. Uh, what does it look like? Yep. So right now, um, and I think this is something I'm always thinking about is how can we improve on this? Um, for every hundred or so people that enter our funnel, about four of them end up becoming productive. Um, and which sounds super low, but we also have, you know, completely free sign up and a lot of, and a big challenge I find is, um, with online courses, a lot of people don't have their content ready. So even if they're signing up now, it can be maybe a year before they become productive. So that's definitely, you know, one of the unique challenges we've had. Um, so we've done a few things too that, have, you know, drastically helped. One of the things we did is we built a one click importer from Udemy, um, which just, drastically changed how fast someone could get activated. Because in the past, you have to upload, you know, maybe five courses, 10 courses, hundreds of videos. Now we have a one-click importer, which, you know, helped massively. Um, the other thing we did is we we set up a weekly webinar to not just talk people through their concerns and give them a demo, but to trigger a conversion event from a free to a paid account. 
So we'd invite all, we invite all our free signups every single week to a webinar at the same time on Thursday um, and give them some kind of incentive to upgrade to a paid account. And that's been helping, you know, our activation a lot. Um, be, so. so you're getting very close to the customer and you're using um, your own platform for those webinars, right? Uh, not for the, for the webinars, we would just use GoToWebinar. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's a traditional webinar. Yep. Yep. It's a traditional webinar. Again, and we don't want to met, like with live with live video technology. We just want to stick to <laughs> stick to the established. And even then, it's amazing how many technical issues live video has. Like even now, like you know, there will be times when we're in flawless internet and the webinar just cuts out for like a few people. Right. <laughs> it's just so it's still not a solved problem. One of the things that I've always worried about webinars is um, like the volume. Like how many people are you getting in these webinars? Um, and, you know, and, and what's your conversion on that? So we aim to get about 100 people in each webinar attending, okay. um, which generally means we that generally takes about 200 to 250 signups. Um, oh, that's to our, get them. Okay. Yeah. To, yeah, that's generally what it looks like. I mean, we have probably 100 or so people signing up every day for the product, of which about 30 to 40% sign up for the webinar, of which about 30 to 40% actually attend the webinar. Right. Um, and on good webinar, I mean, we're trying to get our conversion rate to as close to 20% as possible, um, just because this is an audience that's already excited. And a lot of these people are probably people that want to upgrade anyway. So just, you know, this is just, this is just, you know, an incentive to actually do it now. But, um, but those, yeah, so we aim for 20%. I mean, 10% conversion is probably more realistic. Um, you mentioned that you, you incentivize them to upgrade what uh is it features that you're using and is it like an annual discount if they get started right away so this is something yeah so this is something we're we're experimenting with and i i predict we're gonna we're gonna, we're going to try different offers every week until we find something that we truly stick with um what's been working best now is some kind of content bonus so basically what we say is hey if you upgrade if you upgrade your account now we'll give you you know we'll give you a premium training course on how to grow your business um, so that's that's what's working best now. We have not tried annual plans. I suspect annual plans will also do very well and have the additional benefit of like you know more upfront cash flow. So is that a course that you guys developed? Yep, that's a course we developed. Interesting. So you're almost taking the uh, the drip course that a lot of people run to get people into the funnel, and you're pushing it yep. further down and using it to convert people. Yep. Um, I mean, our course is a, is is a little bit more in depth than a drip course. Like it's a you know it's a it's a solid video course with I want to say six hours of video. Um, just because the nature of online courses is means a lot of these people are online entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we call them teacher entrepreneurs, and they're always like very very self motivated and looking for ways to grow their business. So it works really well with this specific audience. Um, and as I said, you know, we want we want to try annual plans in the offer, but this has been working well lately to the degree I'm almost scared. I don't want to mess, you know, mess up a good thing. Um, but we should, we should try annual plans and, you know, we're always thinking of what we can do to have, you know, yeah. What other interesting things we can do from the offer perspective. We've done a free month before, which I mean also worked really well, but it's, it's less good because you don't make anything for a month. What have you guys done to kind of keep people engaged on these webinars? Um, you know, I've I've gotten on a lot of webinars, but I often get distracted or I kind of have it on in the background. The biggest thing, I mean, and this is almost a cop out of an answer because it has no real good detail, was 
um, hiring someone full time to focus on webinars. Okay. Um, this guy is, you know, he's incredibly good with webinars. He's run, you know, webinars for re-engagement, acquisition, sales. Um, but you know, just the fact that it's hard work. Like he literally spends his entire the entire week working on not just this, not just our weekly webinar, but we have other webinar opportunities. But literally, one person just focused on that. Um, and it's 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 you know like and you realize that good webinars are you know they're they're a skill like I mean he just the amount of attention to detail on slides kind of painting the right kind of narrative um, like when I did a webinar I was like all right I'm just gonna show up and say stuff and you know turns out that there's a lot more to it than that um, but you know just having him do that was incredible like yesterday no sorry two days ago we gave a webinar in partnership with I with AppSumo to a thousand live attendees. Um, but he, you know, he just worked on it to the degree that every single slide was perfect. The script was perfect. All I had to do was stand in front and, you know, actually just deliver it. Very cool. Very cool. And is there any techniques that he uses though, be, um, to kind of keep people interacting with him? Is it, is it like a, are there questions? Are there anything that's going on? So that's what, that's what I had to learn, right? Because I normally I'm not the one that gives the webinar, but with the app Sumo one, I, I gave the webinar. Um, the biggest kind of takeaway for me is, and I still didn't do enough of this, is to constantly check in. Um, like literally every minute or two, you know, have people interact with you. Might it be just be like, hey, every everyone type awesome in all caps into the chat, or you know, just just checking in every every couple of minutes is very important. Um, the other thing that you know he thinks is pretty important for a lot of webinars it doesn't does not apply necessarily to you know the the demos but if your webinar is actually content is framing it as a story um, just you know having a narrative immersing the reader um, the, the viewer um, establishing relatability and very often what that means is kind of coming up with some kind of zero to hero story about you know what your life was before this how you use this and you know what's what's happening after um, and the other big takeaway for me at least was I think our software is amazing and I want to just talk about the software um, but you know it turns out that's less effective than showing people the transformation of online courses in general mm. um, and you know talking about the entire solution versus the software which you hear a lot but you know I still like I, like my natural impulse would be like show them our cool features and it's like no that's not really it you know Talk about talk about your customers. Talk about the people that have used the software, you know, to to get to quit their job and travel the world. Right, right. No, it's true. You want to inspire them as to what yeah. you're going to make them become. Yep, yep. You hear that a lot, but you know, with the webinars, it, it became real. Kind of seeing the before and after, the before of just you know just showing up and like giving a demo. Okay. No, that's cool. Um, you guys have had a, a lot of success, and you wrote about it on on Product Hunt. Um, tell me a bit about what you guys did to, you know, to a, I, I guess use Product Hunt as a sales funnel. Yep. Um, so I think that's what's cool about what we're building is just that basically, you know, we're the technology. So there's people build cool products on top of it all the time, and in a lot of ways, it's their responsibility to grow. I mean, obviously, we do a lot of stuff, you know, to to help us grow as a company. But ultimately, it's teachers' responsibility to grow their course. Um, and Product Hunt as a channel, just for whatever reason, worked incredibly well for courses in, you know, sales, marketing, programming, and so forth. To the degree that, yeah, when we ran the numbers, we realized there were over two hundred thousand dollars in sales just derived from Product Hunt. 
Wow. I wish I could. I wish I could say like you know we have this amazing product hunt strategy or something, but it's really as simple as people posting stuff for product hunt. It being incredibly well received, and the biggest difference from product hunt traffic and non-product hunt traffic is how willing people are to buy. Normally, you have to create some kind of sales funnel. Um, here, a lot of people, when a course is listed on product hunt, will you know just buy. Hmm. Um, we had a course with Ryan Holiday that was on top of product hunt. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think it probably made close to 10K just the first day on Product Hunt from like a $25 course. Wow. $20 course, yeah. Wow. And did he, is there like a landing page um, that he creates custom or is it is it all uh, Fedora? It's the landing page, the sales page lives on Fedora. Okay, okay. Yep. Wow, that's really cool. Um, yep. And so do you encourage your users to post on product? Is that something, or is that just something that they've figured out to they've, do I mean, on their we, own? Yeah, uh, people have done it on their own. I mean, part of the problem is Product Hunt has, not a problem, I think this is also why people are willing to buy, is Product Hunt has a relatively high bar for quality. Um, and we don't, I don't want to get, I mean, I have on occasion helped people post after Product Hunt, but in general, we prefer kind of letting them do it their way. I don't want to get called out for, you know, just spamming product hunt with mm. the best Fedora courses every day. Right. <laughs> um, but occasionally when we have something amazing, like yesterday I posted a course on how to be an angel investor from one of, from actually one of the guys that's an investor in our company as well. Um, and again, it was a free course, but I think he got 800 or 900 signups just yesterday from product hunt. Wow. Yeah, I mean that that's building an audience very quickly. But yeah. it's all about but it but the, the sad part is it only works for certain kinds of courses. I mean, there was a great course on card magic that I posted to Product Hunt, like nothing, like zero sales, like just completely flat. Um so you gotta find your sweet spot. It's gotta be something, you know, I guess startup people vaguely care about. What are some of the um, the big sales courses? Are there any interesting angles that you see that people are are kind yeah. of picking up on? Um, in terms of kind of what the courses are on? Yeah, yeah. What what kind yeah. of courses do you so see being very successful? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's funny in terms of courses that make the most amount of dollars. It's generally things that transform your career in some way. It might be programming. It might be it's very action oriented. Like you take this course and you'll get a promotion or you can get a new job. So that's generally learning how to code or it might be professional skills like SAP skills, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and the reason those courses make the most money is they're generally the more expensive courses. They're anywhere from $99 to a few hundred dollars. But when it comes to courses that have the most number of sales, this is quantity of sales. Um, that's when you see all kind. like that's when, you know, that's when you see the diversity, um, I think I think the recent one that really surprised me is we had a Japanese rope bondage course make a couple of thousand dollars in its first month, which was interesting. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean we have everything from you know watercolor painting, digital scrapbooking, um, and then and then and yeah, and you have a lot of very obscure courses. I mean, you know, we have a course on Minnesota firearm training or something to get certified by the Florida Board of Cosmetology. So we have a lot of niche content as well. Mm. What are you most excited about kind of in this next year for Fedora? What I'm most excited about, and I can't, I can't reveal some of the partners we're working with, but just the fact that there's a lot of big names, both in terms of authors and people that traditionally wrote books that are now focusing on online courses as the future. And ultimately, that's, 
that's the vision behind this, right? I think I think online courses, it makes sense for absolutely anyone in the world who's the best at anything to teach. And that's finally happening. And that's what I'm pumped about. I think it's still going to take a year or two, but it makes sense for anyone, anyone we look up to. Might it be, you know, might it be an author? Might it be someone that's, you know, very best of their field? They're all starting to teach online. And that's that's what's exciting to me. And we're working with a lot of them soon, along with a lot of kind of media companies that are realizing that online courses are the next frontier. Um, and it makes it makes a lot of sense when you kind of look at the economics of, you know, what an author makes from selling a book versus what they would make from an online course. Like a lot of times the model with a book is you don't really make money on the book. You make money on the back end and speaking and consulting and that kind of stuff. With online courses, you can have a $20 course that's a replacement for the book. And you can have a $5,000 course that's a replacement for the consultancy. And, you know, everything in the, everything in the middle. Hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we're starting to see more people getting into the four-figure price courses, um, huh. which sounds super expensive. But, I mean, when you, know, when you think about the cost of a college education, it's not, not that expensive anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, where do we keep up with you and Fedora? Yeah, absolutely. So Fedora is at usefedora.com. Um, the easiest way to probably get in touch with me is on Twitter. Um, with my, my handle is my full name, Ankur Nakpal. And we'll link to it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, very cool. Uh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And be sure to check out our app discount section, where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today. I am without hands because you
Let's go.